Hi, everyone. Welcome to Recovery Road, the intersection of life and sobriety. I am your host, Jareth Rossman. Well, welcome back, and thanks for joining me for another episode. And honestly, I'm really excited for this episode. Today, I want to touch on a few topics. First, as mentioned last week, I'm going to discuss my third week in rehab. And to give you some insight, the third week is the most difficult week in rehab because it's also family week. Now, on the surface, family week sounds very sweet and endearing, but you'll learn quickly, as did I, why people on the inside call it hell week. Now, after we dive into hell week, I mean family week, I want to take some time discussing the toughest question, for some, not all, an alcoholic will face, not only in the beginning of their sobriety, but a choice they have to make each and every day, no matter the length of their recovery. And that question is this, will I drink again and can I do it responsibly? And lastly, I want to take a more micro look at the Daily Five and some of the feedback I've received since episode two, the positive and negative feedback. You may share some of the same thoughts I've received So I'd like to share my perspective on that feedback. So let's just dive right in. Now, the third week of treatment actually starts out pretty good. At least for me it did. At that point, I hadn't drank alcohol for almost 20 days, so I'm starting to feel really good physically, but more importantly, mentally. The first couple of weeks in rehab, my head was still very foggy. I remember having trouble thinking of people's names, even people I was really close with. It was the strangest thing, because I could picture them in my mind, but when I went to say their names, I'd just draw this huge blank. But, I finally started having mental clarity again. I was also reading and writing a lot at this point, so things were really moving in a positive direction for me. Not only was I feeling good, but I kind of had my feet under me at this point. I was familiar with all the nurses and counselors, I had made a bunch of friends, I was even playing the guitar again. I guess you could say I was almost becoming institutionalized, and that probably sounds strange after only three weeks, but I understand what they mean by that now. I was comfortable inside of these walls, primarily because I could concentrate on myself without having to deal with all of my problems waiting for me on the outside. What do they say? Three hots in a cot? And if you're not familiar with what that means, basically it's saying you've got three meals in a bed every day. Not too shabby. Now, ironically, I had spent the first 10 to 15 days trying to figure out how I could go home early. Now, with only 14 days left, I'm sitting here trying to figure out how to stay longer. The idea of leaving and facing the world again was actually really scary to me. I never expressed that to anyone at the time, but I'll talk more about it shortly. So back to what I was saying. It's week three, and I'm feeling good. But I keep hearing these whispers about something called Family Week. And it was odd because nobody openly talked about Family Week. You had rehabbers that had been through it before at this facility or a different one. So they'd give you little tidbits of information. But it was almost like this secret three or four day ceremony that was unmentionable. Even the counselors kept the information to a minimum. All I knew is that each week, three or four rehabbers would be gone for most of the day for three days straight and each night when they returned, it literally looked like they had just left the funeral. 
their own funeral. To say my intrigue was piqued would be an understatement, and I hope yours is too. Now, as my time drew closer, the counselors began to prepare us for our family week and gave us an overview of what those three days would look like, and I'm going to share that with you. Now, family week is a lot like what it sounds, except it's only three days and it doesn't just include family. Usually, but not always. And here's what I mean by that. At the beginning of your treatment, the counselors reach out to your immediate family, whether it's your parents, husband or wife, and start to prepare them for family week. They let them know the dates and invite them to the facility for those three days. Now, Not only do they extend the invite to your immediate family, but they also encourage them to invite additional family members, children, grandparents, aunts and uncles, as well as any close friends. They want the people closest in your life that have felt the biggest impact of your alcohol and drug abuse. And here's why. They ask each of those people to write a very personal and detailed letter on how your addiction or alcoholism has impacted each of them individually. Now on the surface, that doesn't sound too bad. I already know all of the horrible things I've done to my parents. And on top of that, they love me. And I'm the only child. They won't be too hard on me, right? I mean, I've been through a lot, damn it. Boy, was I wrong. So let me give you a quick overview of what's about to happen over the next three days. Day one is the day they read their letters. Day two is when we share our alcohol and drug use for our entire lives. And day three is when we discuss the positives and set boundaries moving forward. No sweat. I'm not that horrible of a person. I mean, I wasn't stealing from people or killing people. What could go wrong? Okay, so it's day one, and I'm going to try my best to set the mood for you. Now, on the surface, I seem cool, calm, and collected, but on the inside... I'm a nervous freaking wreck. And if any of you have a fear of flying, like I do, you know the feeling. You know the feeling of going 500 miles per hour, 32,000 feet above the ground in a flying piece of aluminum? Yep, that feeling. So they walk us in the room together. And when I say us, I mean the three or four other rehabbers going through family week together. And as soon as you walk in, that's when it all hits you. All of your worst fears come true because that's when you see them. No, not your parents or husband and wife, the rest of them. The people they didn't tell you were going to be there. The people I mentioned before, the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles. And I mentioned earlier that they each wrote a letter. Now, what I didn't mention is that you listened to each and every letter. Not just the letters directed at you, but the letters from every person in that room directed at your fellow rehabbers. I don't remember how many people were even in that room the first day, but I'd guess it was probably at least 25 or 30 people. One of the older gentlemen probably had 8 to 10 people from his family alone. Now, immediately as I walked in, I start looking for my people. Okay. There's my parents, which I expected. Now my eyes are laser focused on all the faces to see who else I recognize. And all of these people are seated, so they're just staring right back at you. I felt like these stares could cut steel, they were so intense. Okay, I don't see Juju. 
That's what I call my grandmother, who's basically been like my second mom my whole life. I don't see any of my aunts or uncles, or any of my friends. Okay, okay, not too bad. Now the other thing is there's no welcoming pleasantries. No hellos, no hugs, or no kisses. Just some head nods of acknowledgement. It's the coldest family setting I've honestly ever experienced. Now, you're running through this facial recognition process as you're walking to the chair. And the chair is placed front and center. So you and your pals basically sit in a row next to each other with all of the attendees sitting in a semicircle around you. There's no avoiding eye contact, whether with your parents or with someone else's. And it's tough because you can see the hurt in all of their eyes, whether they're related to you or not. If they were looking at you, you could see the hurt. It's like I had hurt each one of them individually, even though I hadn't met any of them, ever. But looking back now, I can see how they saw their own loved one in me. And in that moment, they didn't see the good in me. They saw all of the pain and suffering we created. And so now we're sitting there, the center of the worst type of attention... The counselor gives a quick overview of what's about to happen, and I know this. It's about to get ugly. And here's why. They don't just go around the room reading each letter. The family member that is reading their letter pulls their chair about three inches from you. And I'm not lying when I say your noses are almost touching. And you have to sit there listening three inches away with everyone else in the room listening to that person's letter. And to top it off, you can't say anything, nothing, not a single word or peep. And as soon as that person is done reading their letter, the next family member pulls their chair up and reads their charming and heartwarming letter. And something they purposely failed to mention to us before going in is that they instructed the family members to make these letters as harsh as possible. I mean, I thought at a minimum, they talk about some of our positives in life and all the reasons they love us and then explain all of the hurt and pain we've caused. Nope, not even close. These letters were solely designed to express all of their pains, frustrations, disappointments, and resentments. And as you can imagine, that's brutal to listen to over and over and over again. Not just your family's letters, but the letters directed at your friends. And when I say your skeletons come out, alcoholics and addicts tend to be some great liars, even in treatment. But there's no hiding the truth in this room. Daughters reading letters to their fathers about catching them stealing their Adderall, or wives reading about having to cover $100,000 in gambling debts for their alcoholic husbands. But what else is crazy about this room is that no story is worse than the other because it's all relative to that person and their family. So you listen to each letter, and with each passing letter, your fear and anticipation grows knowing your time is coming. Now again, I wasn't looking forward to my turn in the least, but I was still holding on to a little bit of hope, thinking that there's a chance my parents would take it easy on me. Now, for a little surprise, I found out that after all of these years, my parents actually saved those letters and offered to send them to me. 
I haven't read those letters in over five years since that day, but I think it's important to read small excerpts from each of those letters so you have an idea of what I experienced that day. I did, however, read the letters right before recording this episode, so the emotions from reading them are still fresh and just as painful as they were five years ago. Now, the first excerpt is from Joseph's letter. While I'm not sharing a specific example from his letter, I think the words I am sharing give you insight into my life and my relationship with my parents at that time. And I quote, But the specific incidents, while capturing the pain and frustration in an encapsulated event, are not the real pain, but only representative of it. The real pain has been the ongoing flight from reality and truth. You have become an artist at evasion, escape, deception, disguise, making an appearance, and being vague. For me, the foundation of trust is broken down. The love is constant. And I love you the same always with my whole heart, but I cannot take you on your word. You will have to earn that back and not by one or two faithful engagements or transactions. For 11 years, you have told us what you thought would get you by, what would appease us and allow you to move along your hidden path. We wanted to believe you so badly, making excuses for you and filling in the blanks with some dignified explanation for the dishonor of your behavior. End quote. So now that you have a quick glimpse of how awesome I was at the time, let me pour it on a little thicker with an excerpt from my mom's letter. Quote, You would totally ignore me and Joseph, and we could not reach you for months at a time, under the guise that you were so busy. We actually could not believe it and felt like we were being abused by our own son. We really didn't know what was going on, but it seemed unexplainable. Then, when you didn't come home for two years, we figured you didn't like coming to our house, so we didn't say anything. I guess when you missed Juju's 80th birthday, Juju don't kill me for revealing your age, that's not in the letter, and yes, Juju does listen to the podcast. Anyways, back to the letter. So we didn't say anything. I guess when you missed Juju's 80th birthday that you made the reservations for, was a very big disappointment and hurtful for all of us. You said that you had a headache, but the truth of the matter is, you had been drinking and perhaps the headache was there, but the drinking was the cause. And I feel that you yourself was also disappointed and hurt because the alcohol had let you down as it continued to do so over and over in your life. The alcohol was starting to control you and you were relinquishing your beautiful life to a poison that would eventually cause you to become a full-time liar and not able to care for your responsibilities that God had blessed you with, your health, or your family, and eventually your job, end quote. So, yep, there's that. It's hard to read that today, but listening to it back then in front of all of those people literally broke me. And the reason being because it was all true. My life had become one big gigantic lie creating a path of emotional destruction along the way. Now, there were some positives in the letter, but in that moment, five years ago, I didn't hear any of them. But today, reading those letters again, it's crazy to see how those positives have manifested in my life over the last five years. Who knew at the time 
that removing alcohol from my life would allow me to live the life my parents had hoped and prayed for five years ago. It's pretty incredible. And to add another nugget of incredibleness, that word sounds made up, the date of those letters? September 14th. That's just wild to me. That's today's date. It's crazy. I'm not sure this whole date thing is coincidental anymore. So, back to that day. My parents read their letters, and I'm crushed. The rest of the parents and family members read theirs, and when it's all over, we're instructed to leave. Again, no farewell pleasantries or hugs and kisses. Just a long walk back to our side of the facility. And now, I completely understood why everyone coming back from their first day looked like they had been to their own funeral. And now I also understood why there wasn't much chatter about family week, especially after that first day. The letters were too real and too emotional to be discussed outside of those family week walls. I spent the rest of that night lamenting in my own head about those letters and really trying to figure out where my life went wrong. And more importantly, what can I do to right those wrongs? Now, I didn't have much time because the next day was right around the corner and I had to prepare for it. What I originally thought would be the hardest day, my alcohol and drug history. And the reason it would be so tough is because we were instructed to give a detailed timeline of all the alcohol we drank and all the drugs we've used since we first started drinking and drugging. And the story I was most scared to tell them was about the first time I got drunk, which was when I was 11 years old with my cousin and her friends off of four Budweiser's. She was only a year or so older than me, so it's not like I was drinking with responsible teenagers or adults or anything. We were young kids, probably before puberty, and if I'm honest, I had a blast. I still remember it to this day. I laughed a lot, threw up a lot, smoked with cigarettes, and face-planted probably four or five times straight into the bushes. I think about an 11-year-old today drinking and smoking with cigarettes, and it baffles me. Now, I'm not going to waste time going into my alcohol history. You can use your imagination. Just make sure you have a big one. Now, that day was more interactive because the family members were allowed to ask questions. But honestly, nothing shocked them at this point. So, the second day really wasn't as brutal as I made it out to be in my mind. And we were allowed to hug and kiss, and the mood was overall a lot lighter. Now, the last day was the best of all. Everyone was in a much better mood, mainly because it was the last day and the hardest part was over with. We shared boundaries for moving forward and made lists about the things we really love about each other. So the last day was just a lot of positive emotions and for the most part and for most families had the proverbial happy ending. I mean, you really felt good about your future and your family relationships walking out of that room on that last day. And I should have mentioned this before, but I'm going to say it now. This was my experience with Family Week. Everyone's experience is different. Unfortunately, some people don't even get to go through Family Week because they've been in treatment so many times that their families just stop coming to Family Week. So... While it was brutal, 
I am blessed that I had two parents that still cared enough and loved me enough to attend even after everything I had put them through. And I'm sure it's easier for parents to want to attend when it's their child's first time in treatment versus their 12th time in treatment. And it may sound crazy, but a couple of people had been in treatment over 20 times at that point. So as difficult as it was for me, I can't even begin to imagine how difficult it was for the people that didn't have any family members show up. Anyways, I hope this story gives you better insight into my journey and just the overall rehab experience. As I've mentioned before, you see and hear a lot in rehab, but at the end of the day, the treatment works as long as the person is willing to work. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that I wanted to discuss my thoughts on the hardest decision alcoholics have to make day in and day out, and I also wanted to share some of the feedback I've received regarding the Daily Five, but I've actually run out of time today, and for that, I apologize. But the good news, you can tune in next week where I discuss my last week in treatment, graduation week, and I'll make sure to tell you my thoughts on if I'll ever drink again, the reason behind my answer, and I'll share my thoughts on the Daily 5 feedback. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I really, really appreciate it. And if there's anyone you know that I can help, please feel free to reach out. Or if you just want to chat, don't hesitate to call or shoot me a message. Thanks again, everyone. And I hope you'll join me next week for another episode of Recovery Road, the intersection of life and sobriety. 